<sighs> well, you ready to talk about this? I am so ready to talk about this show. I just, I, I honestly, of all of the shows this season, I really wish we had watched this together because I bet your reactions to what was happening were amazing. <laughs> I don't know how much you knew going in and I can't remember how much we've actually talked about the plot, but oh, it's so weird. So I only have, I have only heard the soundtrack. Uh-huh. That's all I heard. And I knew the inspiration and kind of the premise, but man, oh man, I was not ready for this. I feel like we need to put a disclaimer on this episode. Like, uh, this is probably going to be rated R for some weird content that's hard to explain. So, yeah, listen. Well, at your I don't. Own I think we can rate individual episodes, so should this should be fine. Yeah, it's it's not explicit, but despite the name of the song, it's not for children. Children. Correct. <laughs> Hello and welcome to It's the Greatest Show, Man, the show where we talk about the musicals you love and why they're great. And why they suck. I am your host, Emily Chavon. And I am your co-host, Brantley Wheeler. How are you doing today, Brantley? Oh, you know, it is just a day already and I, I, I've seen some things. I've seen some weird stuff happening <laughs> within the last 24 hours and we're going to talk about we're gonna that. We're going to talk about it. Woof. You are welcome. Uh, so we're talking about Bat Boy the musical today. We sure are. Your face says it all. We should probably preface this and say, too, that like if you've never seen this show or you have interest in seeing this show, uh, we are going to spoil the crap out of it. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you've not, if you're interested in seeing it, then, and not wanting to be spoiled, then, uh, Please skip this episode. <laughs> yes. Or or if you want to go ahead and listen to it, uh, just know that what you're going to be in for. It is it is a trip. Uh, let's begin with some information about the musical as a whole. So Bat Boy, uh, music and lyrics by Lawrence O'Keefe, book by Keith Farley and Brian Fleming. Uh, the world premiere was at the Actors Gang Theater on Halloween of 1997. That's in L.A. Uh, then there was an off-Broadway production, which opened March 21st, 2001, closed December 2nd, 2001. And then a West End production that opened September of 04 and closed in January of 05. A brief summary. Uh, based on a 1992 weekly world news story about a half-boy, half-bat found living in a cave, a rural town in West Virginia is set for a spin when the Bat Boy attacks a local girl while she and her brothers are exploring a cave. Dr. Thomas Parker, the town veterinarian, is tasked with, quote, taking care of the creature, but his wife Meredith quickly becomes attached to him and tries to civilize him. Dr. Parker agrees to keep Bat Boy alive in exchange for Meredith rekindling their long-dead romantic-slash-sexual relationship. Bat Boy is renamed Edgar and learns to become a civilized member of society, but the other townsfolk are suspicious of him and hesitant to allow him into their community. Shelley, Thomas and Meredith's daughter, grows increasingly fond of Edgar, and a series of almost unbelievable secrets is revealed. That sounds accurate. <laughs> it is the greatest showman. It's not in my top five, but it's probably in my top ten all-time favorite musicals. That says a lot about you. <laughs> It probably does. I uh, actually I have stage managed this show before. Mm -hmm. um, 
I worked at a performing arts summer camp, which shall remain nameless because I don't have very many nice things to say about it. <laughs> but this production was one of the nice things that happened. Uh, when I was doing this production, I was finishing up one show and working on two other shows. So I was going doing four shows at the same time. Uh, I did 13 shows in 12 weeks. So it, it was a very hectic time. But this is one of two shows that I got to work on that summer with my all-time favorite director in the entire world. Uh, shout out to Evan. It was a great experience. I'm glad I got to do this show while I was there. And I love revisiting it once a year or so. Because <laughs> I had a good time and I think it's fun. Uh, so I feel like I need to say this. Do I just need to stop listening to soundtracks and just watch musicals in general? Because there have been several times where I've heard a soundtrack and I'm like, oh, this sounds really fun. I like this. And then I watch it and I'm like, what the hell is this? Oh, listeners, I wish you could see his face. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, Oh, there are just so many things. Like it was like, it's this and ride the cyclone. Like at least two shows where I've listened to the soundtrack and been like, Oh, this sounds really fun. I think I'm going to like this a lot. And then I watch it and it's definitely not what I, well, it's not, I wouldn't say it's definitely quote unquote, definitely not what I thought, but it is, it's, I liked it less than I thought I was going to oh, like it. Oh, no. Really? Honestly. Well, that's our <laughs> yeah. show, folks. Yeah, really. I really thought you would... <laughs> well, I don't know. I thought you would like it... More like it than dislike it. Um, I honestly think I lean more on the dislike side just because of... Honestly, of the story. It doesn't have anything to do with the music. I think it's incredibly well-performed. But just the story in general, I was like, I don't know if I like this. And I'm just, it's it's weird. It's weird for me. It, it's, it is very weird. It's weird for everybody, but. I know, but I will say this. I like it when people push the envelope with musical theater and they try to write something like a horror-based mm -hmm. uh, music musical. Just because, like, there's, one, not a lot of them. Mm -hmm. But also, like, musicals in and of themselves, I think, are a genre. Specifically in, like, in film and things like that. But even in musical theater, musical theater and theater are two different things, right? Yeah. They have different acting styles. Mm -hmm. They have all these different things that are, that are different about them. But, you know, there are sub-genres within musical theater. Right. Right? Because you have, like, sing, you have sing-throughs, and then you have, like, jukebox musicals, and then you have traditional musical theater. Um, and then you have, like, these kind of weird... And then the off-Broadway shows are always just so stinking weird... And I, I, I get it. Like they go to off Broadway because like they're, they're great, but they're not quite Broadway material. Yeah. So they kind of go there and, and I, and I think that's great and I have nothing wrong with that, but I'm just like, I keep thinking to myself, I'm like, do I not like off Broadway shows? Like oh. surely not. Interesting. But I mean, I'll say this. I mean, I like Avenue Q and I know Avenue Q started off and then went on. Mm -hmm. Maybe these shows that started off broadway and stay off broadway i'm like i don't know if this is my my thing interesting i just i don't know if i can form that opinion right now my my first question actually in my notes is what do you think of this campy horror sci-fi genre like do you how do you feel about this versus like little shop of horrors or evil dead or something else that's that's kind of in this vein right so i honestly i really like this style i think it's really I think it's very fun and creative and because you can kind of push the envelope more, especially when you kind of lean into the more camp aspects of mm -hmm. it. Um, and, and 
I think I've said this before, maybe not on the podcast, but I'm not the biggest fan of like horror in general. Mm -hmm. I've kind of come more around to it as I've gotten older, but I definitely am not like, I'm not going to go out and watch the the newest Jason movie or Halloween movie just because it's like really not my, not my thing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I love Little Shop. I think Little Shop is great. You know, I think Evil Dead is hilarious because it's a parody. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot more campy and parody of the original, of the original film. And the original film is, like, scary AF. Like, honestly, like, it was a movie I started watching by myself thinking, oh, this is just some campy horror film. But I was genuinely terrified. <laughs> and I stopped watching it about halfway through. But that's besides the point. But, I mean, I do like this this kind of shub genre. And even Ride the Cyclone kind of falls into this yeah. into this type of thing as well. So, but the Ride the Cyclone is, I think, what we've discussed, you know, before, that it's more creepy, less scary. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's kind of more my my avenue versus just like straight horror. Right. But I mean, I do like really like this genre, and I will I will say Bat Boy definitely fits this genre. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. It. I think Bat Boy <laughs> has some great horror moments, but I don't think watching it, I'm ever really scared because there's so much humor around all of it. Right. Um. I'd say it probably gets more horror esque in Act Two. Um, act one is just kind of silly, campy fun. And I think it kind of starts to go that way at the end of act one. But act two for me is like, this is where it kind of goes more horror, even though it's still camp and funny. Yeah. Yeah. Cause funny in quotations. The, the, so the production that, uh, I, you watched the same production that I did, I believe. Yeah, I did. Okay. I, I think that's for what it was. It was pretty good. I, uh, I agree. Uh, the production that I worked on, I don't have a lot of memories of it. And actually, I meant to go look at uh, the camp's photo archives to see if I could see some pictures and jog some memories. But uh, maybe later, if we have time, we'll click through that. I don't remember a lot of it. Like that summer is a blur and a lot of repressed memories. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I do remember our production being pretty bloody. Like, every time an animal died, there was a lot of blood on stage, if I remember correctly. So, uh, if you worked on that production with me, and I'm wrong, correct me. That, just hearing that as a technician makes my eye twitch, because I'm like, that's a lot of of stuff I gotta clean up. (laughs) It was stored in a lot of, like, buckets and stuff. Everything was cut over a bucket, but... Yeah, it, he, uh, Edgar, our actor, oh, playing over Ed. a bucket. Yeah, I everything go. was okay. over a bucket. I think. I yeah, honestly, mm-hmm. that whole <laughs> production was a blur. It was great. I'm glad I got to work on it. But like watching it back now, <laughs> years later, I have uh, there were some moments where I thought like, did we do that? Did we cut parts of the show? Or like, I I have a distinct memory of "Let Me Walk Among You" not having any rhymes in it. Don't, I don't know where that came from. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Maybe the kid just didn't Messed up have, all the words. You know. Like, did we cut verses and patch them together? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I have no idea. So, yeah. I so enjoy this, like, very specific little niche that this show fits into. <laughs> this is one that I like to, when I'm trying to flex my musical theater knowledge, I like to pull this show out and be like, do you know Bat Boy? Because if you don't, I'm going to change your mind about what musical theater can be. <laughs> right. And I think, I honestly think that this is a good example of like what it can be. Mm. This, and I think Carrie is another good example mm. of what you can do with musical theater that's not, you know, not traditionally considered like if you get, like looking outside of Golden Age. 
musicals. Yes. Um, and even some, a lot of modern contemporary stuff that's really good. And, but it still kind of fits within the traditional, um, I guess, canon of, of musical theater. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is definitely a stretch, I guess. (laughs) I, yeah. Like I wouldn't bring my parents to this show. I don't think. I would, neither would I. (laughs) Or like, I definitely (laughs) wouldn't bring my grandma to this show. Yeah. I don't even know if I'd bring my wife to this show because it was like really? weird. I, I think I think I could bring I don't know if I would. I think I could bring my husband to the show, but I would have to like seriously coach him before we got there. Like, okay, this is what's gonna this is what you're in for. Like, here's the plot. Mm-hmm. And I as I was typing up my notes last night, I was talking to him a little bit about it, and he just kind of looked at me with a side eye. And I was like, Well, I don't want to spoil it for you. And he goes, I'm never gonna watch this show with you, Emily. Like, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> Um, I don't actually have any notes about this, but I think this is something worth talking about, and that's the different character relationships. So you you want to talk about characters first? Let's talk about story and characters. Yes. <laughs> so I, I I mean obviously this centers on on the Parker family, but I th- I think the mm-hmm. central relationship of importance here is between Meredith and Edgar slash Batboy. I would agree. If I had to say that you know there were two leads, it's those two. It's the you know mom and son. Right. And then Dr. Parker uh, and Shelley are kind of secondary within the family, even though I truly, I think all four of them should be considered leading characters. You could call them secondary leads. Yeah. I mean. Right. Mm. You could. But yeah. Yeah. They're all, they're, they're the four main ones. characters, of the, more four main characters of the story. So. Yes. I just, I just want to know your thoughts in general about all of this. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <sighs> so like. What a trip this show is. Um, so, I mean, right off the bat, pun intended. But um, Yeah, haha, I'm hilarious. Anyway, um, right at the beginning, it's obvious, like, obviously it's in the dialogue, right, that something's a little off. Like, right at the beginning, like when Dr. Parker comes home and sees Batboy in the cage, he goes, what are you doing here? Uh-huh. Or how did you get here or something like that? And immediately then I'm like, oh, okay, so he already knows about this character. And, you know, as it kind of goes on, it kind of has a little bit of elements. It has a little bit of elements of like Hunchback of Notre Dame and like Beauty and the Beast kind of mushed together. And this kind of whole, as far as like um, trying to bring Edgar slash Batboy out into the world and like be a, be like a normal person. Oh, okay. And kind of like Quasimodo coming out is what I meant. Quasimodo sure. coming out and being a part of part of the world. And Beauty and the Beast in the sense that uh, Shelley, right? Mm-hmm. And then you, like the relationship between Shelley and Edgar is like kind of Beauty and the Beast because she's like this pretty high school girl and then he's a bat boy. Okay, right? sure, yeah. So that's kind of how I, I felt about that, that whole situation. And then like Dr. Parker sure takes a turn. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you kind of immediately don't like this character right he's kind of because he comes in and he has this the song with meredith um dance with me darling dance with me darling mm-hmm. yeah i'm like i'm like he, i'm like dude you creepy and like at the beginning you know we don't know we don't necessarily know why there's animosity between meredith and dr parker and you have to obviously find out later but it's like oh it's a very complex relationship 
Yeah. Right. Did you listen to the cast recording at all recently, or did you just watch the production we watched? I just watched the production that we watched. Okay. Uh, it's been it's probably been about a year since I've listened to the actual soundtrack. Sure. the The Doctor Parker that we watched, I think, played it a little more serious than I would have liked. And I think if you listen to the off Broadway cast recording, he's a little bit campier, and I think that excuses some of his creepiness. I mean, some there are things okay. in this show that uh, I could see where people would be really offended and maybe doesn't age well. Because my impression of uh, their relationship at the beginning of the show was just like, oh, yeah, they're married, so of course they don't love each other anymore. Ha, ha, ha. Right. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Not that there's some, like, really gross, deep, dark secrets there. Right. Okay. Let, what, do you, what specifically do you want to talk about? Because... I have thoughts on a lot of things. On their relationships or? On a lot of things to do with the story and the characters of the show. I don't really have any hard notes about story and character, but I I think this show is kind of made, like you can make or break this show on your Meredith. I, I'd say that's probably true. Um, Meredith, I would, yeah, I would, I would agree saying is the the main character along with Edgar and looking at the cast list, they're top billing. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. And I mean, Edgar, the, the challenges of playing that role are insane, but I think the relationship that Meredith has with Edgar and that Meredith has with Dr. Parker, like that makes or breaks the show because she has to have the relationship with both of them and Shelly too. But I think mother daughter relationships are a little bit easier like or this mother daughter relationship is easier to play than the other two relationships. Uh, I would agree. I would agree. But so I mean, let's talk. Let's just talk about the core four then. Sure. For a little bit, um, I could see like if you if you play Doctor Parker more like an evil scientist or like a mad scientist, it kind of makes would kind of work more than the production I saw. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meredith being kind of like a typical like 1950s style housewife I think is great and it yeah. fits the genre yeah so it's fine Shelly being your typical emotional emo kid is kind of how I perceived her um I mean to me it's she seems kind of like a Wednesday Adams or a um what's another character uh I think she's like a cross between Wednesday Adams and uh Rizzo from Greece <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah, she's kind of like, she's not, because she's not like bubblegum poppy, like happy all the time. No. And you can tell, like right away, she, you know, she doesn't like Edgar. So. And she's kind of rebellious and, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of the impression. Like, oh, I was going to say Lydia. Oh. Lydia from Beetlejuice is kind of like. Hang on to that thought. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's kind of like how I felt about, about Shelly in general. But, I mean, I have to give it, give credit to anyone who ever plays Edgar because man that is a hard role yeah it is really hard um and it's like the the little nuances that that character comes with yeah is so difficult and like I mean like hats off to the kid I saw in that production because man I hope he went on to I hope he went on to some things because he was great um the the physicality that you need for that like and he committed and he was in it you know he committed 
he is like all the physicality that Edgar needs because he's not he's been living in a cave as a bat boy most of his life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he has this kind of physicality to him. And then the changing from when he doesn't speak at all to like this very posh British accent. In one song. In one song. In one right. Song. One song. That's really hard. And he does it perfectly. The kid was phenomenal. He did a great mm-hmm. job. But like, I do like how they make, they reference that by being like, oh, those BBC language <laughs> tapes are really helping or whatever. I'm like, that's really funny. That's such a good that's joke. A good... <laughs> yeah, it is a good joke. And like, kudos to the writers for that too. Mm. Um, who was, who was the, that wrote this? Did you mention uh, that at the beginning? Yes. Yeah. It's Keith Farley and Brian Fleming wrote the book. Yeah. Hats off to Keith Farley and Brian Fleming because that was like this show is has very funny moments in it mm-hmm. um i think i felt like overall i did not find it as funny i think it was as intended because i remember hearing like laughter on the, the live recording that i saw and i i didn't laugh a whole lot in the show i maybe chuckled here or there mm. but i didn't think it was like hilariously funny right yeah i'm but like i said i mean kudos to to playing edgar because that's real rough but yeah i think of all the characters he's definitely that's definitely the hardest role in this show oh by a long uh, shot but by a long shot uh but i mean the other char- the other actors did a really good job as well i will say though i think personally my favorite character in the entire show is the sheriff <laughs> and the kid that played him was just he was so great his like deadpan delivery for everything he's just kind of like he's like that he played it like i don't know what's going on i'm just here man like i don't know and that just the way that he played it was really really funny and so like after having watching that production i was like the sheriff i think is my favorite role in the show (laughs) okay i think you would have liked the reverend more the reverend is traditionally played by a man Uh, and the production we saw had a girl playing the role which like it works fine Um, right but i think you may have liked that role more if it had been played the way that I want it to be played as a director. Possibly. I just was going to say, that's a role that you, it's it's a bit part. You come in, you sing one song, and then you're done. Mm. Right? So that's a role that it's like, it's quote unquote important to the story, mm. but you can almost go without it and be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they the story sets up why the Reverend, why Reverend Hightower is there. Right. It sets it up. But if you were to just omit that part completely, the story would still make sense. Yes. Yes. Sorry, I thought you were still talking about the sheriff. I'm like, well, the sheriff comes back a couple times. The sheriff's kind of important. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about the Hightower. Reverend. I'm yeah. not talking about the yeah. sheriff. Uh, yeah, no, I think you you choose this show because you have an Edgar and a Meredith, mm-hmm. and then the rest you could probably find the right people to fill in. Right, man, and then like, <laughs> I I don't think you're supposed to have sympathy for the Taylors. <laughs> But I did. Well, <laughs> I felt bad for them. Yeah, I think uh, they set up Rick to be unlikable because of what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But their their story is pretty tragic. Yeah, like I remember thinking, like this is really depressing. Like I don't really know if I, I, I that was the part of the story that I probably had. Well, that was the part that made me like kind of sad. But the other part that I just was like, ugh, the ugh part is later. But <laughs> um yeah yeah with the taylors like ruthie you know top of the show gets attacked by edgar in the cave and you know he doesn't know any better he's a monster monster person Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, to no fault of his own, he attacked her, right? Because he was probably, you know, he's a little monster man, so he's probably hungry or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he attacked him. Like, they probably shouldn't have been in the cave in the first place. <laughs> so, whatever. And I don't necessarily feel bad. I don't feel bad for Ruthie getting attacked by a monster that doesn't know any better. But the whole thing with Dr. Parker's turn of jealousy, and he's like, oh, my wife loves this monster boy more than she loves me. And so he's like, okay, well, I'm going to make... I'm going to make her make, I need to get rid of him. So I'm going to like start doing these things and blaming on Edgar. And the first thing he does is he kills Ruthie. The first thing he does, he goes to the hospital and he injects her with some type of poison and kills her. Then he's like, Oh, well then the Edgar's bite killed her or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that happens there. And then when, when Rick basically goes after Edgar at the, at the revival, and so Edgar defends himself. He attacks him, defends himself. Yep. And then Dr. Parker literally kills Rick in front of everyone and is still able to blame it on Edgar. <laughs> yep. And then the part of the, it is like, and obviously like, I think if the kid had played it more campy, then it probably would have been funnier and played better. But like later on in the show and they're going after and looking for him and he's like, and she's like, ah, so I can kill again. And they're like, what? And he goes like, I mean, he would kill again or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't think that was particularly funny, but I think it might have just been the delivery. I don't think it was necessarily, you know, the line in and of itself. Yeah, I think um, so. And then the youngest boy, Ron, is accidentally murdered by his own mother. So that's fun. You know, ha ha. This show is hilarious. I think that's one of the really great things about this show is that it's able to have these funny moments and then really uncomfortable weird moments that you kind of giggle at because you're uncomfortable and then there's some really sad things that happen like this show kind of sends me on an emotional roller coaster and i appreciate that it's able to do that yeah i mean i i will i'll give you that it definitely is a roller coaster but yeah so like at the end of the day i just felt really bad for mrs taylor (laughs) even though she's set up kind of as an antagonist in the show right but she like she goes through the yeah probably I think she gets the worst of it honestly yeah and I mean I also feel for Shelly because her entire family's dead at the end of the show also true right and I have a I have kind of a weird thing with a pan or a fawn pan just showing up out of nowhere he just shows up and he sings a weird a weird sexy song <laughs> and then he disappears I'm like why is he even in this why is this here <laughs> what does this have to do with anything else in the show. I, if I could have seen nothing else, I, I really wish I had been able to sit next to you and observe you watch Children, Children. Uh, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> and honestly, it's I honestly thought it was it was probably more. Well, it's not it's the so necessarily weird. the fact that it's weird. It's just like as far as when the story is going, you know, at that time, I was able to put together like the way that. When, you know, Shelly's talking to Meredith, she goes, oh, I think I'm in love with Edgar. Meredith's like, uh, no, you can't be, right? I was like, oh, it's because it's cause he's probably her son or something. Yep. And then I was right. And it's super, <laughs> super nasty and gross that, so like, gross. during children, during children, children, Shelly and Edgar, like, sleep together. And they're basically twins. Like, I didn't expect this to turn into Game of Thrones, but it sure did. Yep. Right. It sure did. It sure did. I didn't expect this to turn into Game of Thrones. I was not expecting some, you know, uh, 
what are they called? The I wasn't expecting some Lannister action, but we definitely got some. And I was like, not, I did not know what to, what to expect of that. I was like, I'm like, so because like what you find out is like they're basically twins, right? Yes. Sorry, I just had a realization about myself. Go on. <laughs> I haven't seen Game of Thrones. Let's be clear. I have read the five. Mm-hmm. I've read the first book. And the only characters I liked were the Lannisters. Wow. And now that we're making these connections, I just wow. don't know what this is. I don't know what th- I That's a I think that's a uh a, a package we don't have time to unpack right now, Emily. We'll just move on. <laughs> <laughs> that's our other podcast. Whichever one that is. We're we're gonna have we're gonna have a Game of Thrones podcast, I I guess, and talk about that. And I don't even want to watch Game of Thrones. I've watched the first two seasons and I was like, nah. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's just you. You find that out, and I was yeah. just like, "Uh, ew, why?" <laughs> and like, I didn't. I didn't know what to do. Then, then you find out, like, because you know, at the, right at the end of the show, you find out uh, how Edgar came to be. Yes. Yes, and so let me let me see if I can if I can remember this from my memory. Doctor Parker is literally a mad scientist trying to find. He's trying to do something with hormones in animals. Yes, he's trying okay. to make cows more fertile. He's trying to make cows more fertile. So that they'll reproduce more because they're in a farm community. He's doing that, and it's not working, so he tries to do it on other animals. He's trying other animals. And it was unclear to me. I don't think that's quite right. Well, okay, well. Okay. Well, the ma Meredith says that he was trying different experiments, and he potentially tried it on her. It's kind of the impression that I got. No. No? No. Okay, so there he's a he's uh working in the scientist as a like a lab scientist cuz he's a vet, whatever. Right. He's working in the lab. She's his assistant and they're madly in love with each other. Right. And so his experiments aren't working, so he just starts mixing all kinds of animal pheromones together to try to make something more potent mm-hmm. and he accidentally spills it all over her. And then he is just overcome with lust because of animal pheromones and her right and she gets pregnant yes supposedly i i guess and then as she's walking home instantly (laughs) i guess and then as she's walking home she gets attacked by she's attacked by a large group of bats to which she replies that they were biting and burrowing everywhere yep and she emphasizes everywhere and then apparently she gets impregnated by a bat as well. Yep. And then when she, you know, they, she stays with Dr. Parker for the most part. Yep. Um, and then she, you know, she is pregnant and then she has Shelly first. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, it's such a beautiful little baby girl. And then all of a sudden she goes into labor like immediately right after that. And then she gives birth to Edgar. Yes. So they're basically twins. Yeah. Even though they technically have different fathers. Yeah. And then Parker takes Edgar to like kill him. Uh-huh. Take this baby to go kill it somewhere. And he can't do it. He can't get himself to do it. And so he, I think he just is intending to just leave him somewhere. And then these bats come and they take Edgar into the cave and then they somehow raise Edgar on their own. <laughs> yep. And he becomes a bat boy that lives in the cave. He's essentially a, a somehow creepier golem. <laughs> and 
And then, you know, I guess hilarity ensues. Like, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> this yeah. whole thing. You, you find all that out. And then I'm like, all right. So this is just like, this has gone from like an entire and, <laughs> and a somewhat intriguing kind of campy story to like, what is this? It's like, it's, it goes into like this. It goes into like, no, no I would say. And, I, and the thing is, I wouldn't say it. it goes. It goes in a direction that I don't understand what's happening because I understand what's happening. I'm just like really this is the this is the route we're gonna go with this this way okay i guess it's it's so hard for me to explain this show to people i mean i don't usually tell people the ending like i'll let them discover it on their own Mm -hmm. but i i was trying to explain it to my husband yesterday and it's like you know it when i say what happens it doesn't really effectively communicate what it feels like to watch this happen that's true because when I say it, it just when we say it and we talk about it like this, it just sounds ridiculous. But at this point, you've invested two hours of your life into this show. Like I feel like you're a little more committed to it, mm-hmm. and it's sad and creepy and just weird. Icky. It's, it's icky. The show's icky <laughs> at the end. Yeah, I don't know how else the show could possibly end though. I mean, so then it ends with Dr. Parker killing himself so that so that Edgar will come to him and like start to feast on his blood. Mm-hmm. And then he stabs him in the back. Yep. Effectively killing himself and Edgar. And then Meredith runs up. And I don't know what happened. I, in the production, I couldn't tell what happened. I couldn't tell what happened. Meredith either. like runs up and like grabs both of them. And then she dies. Yeah. Somehow all three of them end up dying. In a bloody massacre. I, I don't remember. It was unclear to me how Meredith was intended to die. Like, how was she supposed to die? Does Wikipedia tell you? I could not find my prompt script. It says here, uh, according to wikipedia.org, uh, Edgar begs Dr. Parker to kill him, but he cannot. So Edgar reveals that he slept with Shelley. Furious and overcome with grief, Dr. Parker slits his own throat, causing Edgar to leap upon him and feed, whilst Dr. Parker stabs him in the back. Meredith tries to intervene, but is stabbed as well, and the three fall to the ground dead. Okay, that sounds vaguely familiar to me. It, the blocking was not very clear. No, in the production I saw too, I was like, I just like she like she ran up to them, and I was like, oh, so she's dead too now. <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't very clear to me. Like, how does she get stabbed? Mm. It was unclear to me like how she was also supposed to die. But yeah, what a trip this show is. It it's it's I will I will say that from my experience with off Broadway shows. This is definitely one of them. <laughs> I could see why this pretty much stayed off Broadway. It wasn't going to wasn't going to go anywhere. Oh, this no, this will never be a Broadway show. I hope not. Absolutely not. <laughs> this would be cuz like you don't want to do this show real big. Anyway. Oh, oh. All right. What are some thoughts that you have? I would like to talk about some songs if you don't mind. Yeah, we can talk about some songs. So, I there's not really a song in this show that I don't like. Uh I have favorites and some that i skip Mm -hmm. if i'm not trying to listen to the whole cast recording but i think every song serves a specific purpose and it fulfills its goal i'd say that's accurate yeah uh but the ones there are five that i want to talk about specifically okay uh the first one is uh what you want to do which is the one between rick and shelly near the beginning of the show right and Mm -hmm. in my notes i just wrote it makes me laugh every time (laughs) It is so funny. It is definitely one of those songs that's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. And Carrie Butler, as a not cool teenager, is the epitome of musical theater for me. <laughs> 
like her trying to beatbox and the, the jokes in the song like the the where they're doing the uh-huh uh-huh and they start making out but they keep singing mm-hmm. it that's so funny to that's me. pretty funny so funny yeah yeah that's pretty funny it just like i'm just humming whatever yeah it it just yeah uh lawrence o'keefe who you may know as the composer of Legally Blonde and Heathers. Mm-hmm. Ugh, so good. I love a good <laughs> musical theater rock show. Because I wouldn't say I wouldn't say this is a rock musical, but it's musical theater imitating rock. There are definitely shows that are more rock style than this one, but this has got all the well, elements. It's apparently classified as one. Yeah, I think that's kind of a stretch. But th- the use of uh, the drum kit and bass specifically in this show. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is later in my notes, too, uh, that this music slaps and I'm trash for it. And <laughs> absolute, yes, I wrote, I am absolutely trash for this score. <laughs> the bass and the drums, I turned the music up in my car so loudly as I was driving home. And when I got home, I thought, well, I hope none of our students saw me driving and loudly singing this. And I, I don't have to explain to anyone what this show is <laughs> because it's so good. <laughs> Um, another song, and I've just written down, I love this song, is Another Dead Cow. That's the one that gets stuck in my head probably the most <laughs> of any of the songs. I don't think it's the best song, but it's so funny. And this is where I need Lawrence O'Keefe to teach a master class on mixing genres in musical theater. Oh, yeah. And I need Lord Andy to take a class. <laughs> because Another Dead Cow still feels like Bat Boy, even though it's got, you know, you, you use the banjo synthesizer, anything sounds Southern. Right. It's so smart. We'll talk about the lyrics a little more later, but I love Another Dead Cow. Well, if we're talking about this song right now, let's just talk about the lyrics as we're doing it. Okay. Um, I just want to include some of my favorite rhymes because I, I love that this show gets to use unconventional rhymes because it's just weird subject material. Mm-hmm. So uh, the one lyric that gets me every single time is, I checked my bovine manual and I find no definition. Even this revised edition does not mention malnutrition. <laughs> yeah yeah that's really so good oh good yeah definition edition malnutrition so funny um okay well if you want me to keep talking about lyrics as well uh mrs taylor's lullaby mm-hmm. is just full of jokes so i'm actually i'm just gonna read you the entire lyrics of that song because it's one joke after another it's amazing sleep little ruthie baby no one's gonna hurt you sheriff's gonna have that little freak destroyed or if he's a coward and he won't protect my children, Mama's gonna get the sheriff unemployed. Yeah, I mean that was probably so one good. of the funnier songs in the show. Ugh, it's so funny. Show you a thing or two. All of it, honestly, is genius lyric writing. Yeah, I will agree. I think that's probably lyrically that's the best song in the whole show. It is so smart. It's really, really good. Um, here are some of my favorite lyrics. Uh, you'll soon complete it and wait, don't eat it. <laughs> Uh, a bit more schooling, a lot less drooling. Um, I've written down, I have a bullet point that says the whole flashcard bit. Is really good. The rhyme yeah, scheme it's so in that, good. it's oh, so smart. Um, and then a couple of triple rhymes, uh, weary, bleary, and theory all get rhymed. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. And then my my personal favorite is rowdy, dowdy, and summa cum laude. <laughs> <laughs> Who has ever rhymed those three words? Yeah, that's, that was really great. I also enjoy the part where I lost my spot. Oh, gonna Vince Van Gogh him and Henry Thoreau him, like that whole section. 
Jackie Owen, Marilyn Monroe, Botticelli, Machiavelli, Larry Curley, and Moem. Yeah. <laughs> That's really, really clever. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. I would think lyrically, definitely lyrically, that's the best song in the whole show. It's so clever. It goes through so much change. And we talked, we mentioned this earlier that, you know, Edgar has to go from Bat Boy to Edgar within this song. Mm -hmm. He's a big transformation. And there's tap dancing and classical musical theater sound. And it's a big production number. And I love it. It's genius. Absolutely. That's, but I think that's the best song in the whole show. And it's the act one closer. No. It's not. No, oh sure. no, no, that's right. That's not. No. But it's de- it's the it's act one closer close is comfort and joy, which I think is the best song in the show. Oh okay. What are your thoughts on this song? Which one? Comfort and joy. Well, um, you're definitely getting like Doctor Part Doctor Parker's descent into like insanity during this song. Mm-hmm. This whole song is literally just setting up Act Two, like the end game, basically, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, the whole thing is set up in this one song, and I think that's really kind of clever and smart to do. It's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take a left turn here, and we're taking it right now. Is basically what what happens, I think, in this song. Uh, I do think, I mean, it's complex enough that it keeps you engaged. Like you just kind of keep going back and forth, looking at everything that's happening, you know. And in the production that we watched, I think that, I mean, I think they kept Edgar on stage the entire time. He just was like down center. And just stayed there and everything kind of happened around him. That sounds right. Which I think is was was a clever bit of staging for it. Um, but I don't know. I just, I do think that, that taking this time, this one song, to set up what's about to happen in Act 2, I think is a really good idea. Mm. It's like, I don't think anything really previously hints what's going to happen up to that point. Except for a couple of character beats between Meredith and Edgar and Dr. Parker. There's a couple of character beats in Act 1 that then set up this turn in Act 2. Yeah. Uh, or at the end of Act 1 that sets up Act 2. And I think that's what's, what that song is like. I think it serves its purpose. Um, musically, it's great. I really enjoy it. And I don't think that the lyrically is as clever as Show You a Thing or Two. But it doesn't have to be. Right. It's doing its job. <laughs> right. I think the lyrics in Show You a Thing or Two are more to establish how smart Edgar is. Mm-hmm. When you give characters lots of smart, witty things to say, it makes them smart and witty. So that makes sense. But right. yeah, comfort and joy. I wrote, and I told you this yesterday, it was in my dream the other night. That's how good it is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It was just playing in my dream. Like This song is so good. Is it a perfect act one finale? Maybe. I, I like how all the character stories are tied together. It builds such good suspense. To be like, yeah, we're going to take a left turn, and uh, it'll be right after this intermission. <laughs> so go go sit on it for 15 minutes, and we'll come back. It's so good. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good, like, anticipatory song, right? Because mm. it, it goes this direction, and then you're like, oh, what's going to happen, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, some of the lyrics that I think are particularly good in Comfort and Joy uh, – it's Dr. Parker's line at the beginning. He says, I've got a spade and a burlap sack, and there's a hole in the yard out back. Yeah. So, like, rhyming sack and back. It would have been much easier, I think, to use the word attack as the rhyme. But Lawrence O'Keefe did that magic musical theater thing where we don't explicitly say the thing we're talking about. We make a specific choice, and now it suddenly gives mm-hmm. us, like, very vivid image of how he's going to kill Edgar. Yeah. Like, not just I want to kill him, I'm going to bludgeon him to death and shove him in a bag and bury him. Like, that's... Yeah. A much better choice. Um, 
Uh, this is Edgar's bit in the middle. Uh, I still don't know how people pray or what one does with one's hands, but please, my thirst grows every day. I feel it burn in my glands. I don't know how we got away with the word of glands, but I like that it's there. Yeah. It's bad boy. That's how we got away with it. Um, yep. Oh, the other thing that this is one of my favorite things in musical theater. And there's a, a handful of shows that do this. And I think, you know, there's rhyming. Like rhyming anything is already kind of a skill to flex when you start rhyming in an unconventional way, like exists in this show because you've got some weird content, like you get to kind of flex those muscles even more. Then it does the thing where you rhyme with a pers- a purposeful mispronunciation or a dialect. Uh, he says, please won't you change the way I am or prove I'm human underneath. Or if you just don't give a damn, you could at least get rid of these, like his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and so rhyming underneath with get rid of these so Mm -hmm. it's funny and smart i hats off man (laughs) love it Uh, but the real reason uh i i particularly love this show and i've well we can talk about this a little bit later too Uh, i like meredith as a role a lot Mm -hmm. and someday i'll be old enough to play meredith (laughs) three bedroom house is a song that i want to sing so badly (laughs) that it's a that's a good one too it does everything it's supposed to. It's so fun to sing. I've got that top note at the end. That's That note is everything. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm just not old enough. And then the last song I want to talk about is Children, Children. I don't have any notes. I just want to hear your reaction. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I mean, I know I've kind of already mentioned it a little bit, but what an icky song. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> like... <laughs> When you know, when you know, because I, I, I had already put together like, oh, I think these p- kids are actually related. Mm-hmm. And then they sing this song about them like, I mean, hold on, let me pull up the lyrics to this song because it is just. <laughs> uh, when we were talking about this yesterday, you, you asked me, do you think we could ever do this show at school? And I couldn't remember how much we had talked about this because I know we have brought up this show in conversation before but I couldn't remember if you knew about children, children <laughs> and yeah, I, I won't do this show with high school students at school. At least if it were like a community theater thing, that'd be different. Okay. So looking at the lyrics of this song again, I don't know why pan is there. It, there's no precedent for it. He just is there. And I'm I'm assuming it was chosen because Pan is like a Roman or Greek god of like fertility, I believe. So I think that's where it comes from, like why that particular deity is there. Mm-hmm. But he comes out of nowhere. He just shows up. And then he sings this progressively provocative song. It gets more provocative as the song goes, right? Yeah. Like it starts yeah. like the, like it starts out it starts out, children, welcome home to where we all began. Alone and face to face, let us erase the fall of man. Let the frogs pause in their song, let the crickets hold their breath. Let the trees stand still as death and tell the mosquitoes not to bite. Now we've been hoping for so long, so fill the sky with fireflies so they can see into each other's eyes and then they'll get it right. That's how it kind of starts off. It's like yeah. kind of, you know, it's it's getting there without, without being explicit. Right. It's more, yeah, it's more romantic, I think, than sexual at that point. At that point, yes. Um, and then, uh, you know, again, you, I had kind of already put together like, oh, they're like probably brother and sister, right? 
it's not they have they don't know that yet right like the characters Mm -hmm. don't know this yet but you did oh i did i did (laughs) okay so now so then here's what here's like the bridge and then it gets into like this is gross but anyway here we go the, the bridge starts now let the turtle and the dove let the lion and the lamb let the owl and the wolf and ram embrace across the countryside fur and feathers making love paws and claws and jaws and beaks let the song go on for weeks and weeks to bless this boy and bless this bride at one point there's a lyric that's like choose your mate and let us see what recreate <laughs> well let's hold on i'm I'm getting there but yes you're getting there. because like i'm getting there because like so because like you see that and then like i believe that they at that point in the song, Edgar and Shelley kind of just went off stage. Uh-huh. Right? And it doesn't... They don't, like, strip on stage or anything. There's none of, nothing, none of that. They just kind of run off. Yes. And then the lyric goes, Oh, children, children, don't be scared. The moon is up and we're all prepared. Children, take a look around. Hear that joyful song. For what we thought was lost, at last it's found. The earth's asleep. Time to wake it. If you have clothing, forsake it. We want you breathless and naked. Choose your mate and let's see what we create. <laughs> and I was like, gross. <laughs> Again, I'm I'm like, okay, these two are brother and sister. This is gross. Yeah, I'm not I'm not laughing at the content. I'm laughing at your reaction. Um I, I I'm aware. Yes, I'm yeah. aware you're laughing at my reaction, but I just was like, ick. This is icky. And I'll tell you, uh they did it in the version we watched a little bit uh, differently than we did it uh, when I stage managed it. Um, they went off stage at the same time and they came back on in skin colored unitards that had like fig leaves uh, creatively placed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And these were, these were like 15 year olds. <laughs> right. Ugh, woof. And the director, I give him a lot of credit because he was very careful about being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He was very intentional with his blocking, knowing that he was doing things that were like kind of pushing the boundary for what's acceptable for teenagers to be putting on stage. And he was right. like that in both productions that I worked on with him. So kudos to him. But yeah, the, this and then... Um, we can talk about this now too. The ending of the show. So mm-hmm. the one we watched, they had a like video playing on a projector. Right. That kind of explained the flashback. They just acted out the flashback when, when I stage managed it. And so there was a lot going on and Meredith had mm-hmm. to, you know, be attacked by bats and she had to uh, get on a hospital table and pretend to push out two children. And yeah, it it was very creative blocking so that it was tasteful and you know all the actors were comfortable it was a performing arts summer camp so these kids all thought they were very serious actors by having to like kiss on stage and all this stuff so right <laughs> but yeah children children is a trip it definitely is oof man um so reasons for why it's the greatest show man uh we already talked mm-hmm. about music slaps <laughs> i do like the music and then the lyrics, we talked about the lyrics, just so smart. Lawrence O'Keefe, please adopt me so that I can learn musical theater writing from you. <laughs> I want to talk about the sense of humor in this show. Okay. So 
in general, I think this show does the thing where they make the joke early on so that the serious beat in the scene can land heavier. Mm -hmm. So a couple of examples of this um, in what you want to do. We talked about this where they do the uh uh uh-huh and they make out and then, Mm -hmm. you know, Edgar is imitating them or Bat Boy, I guess at that point is imitating them. And then Rick kind of gets up close to him and he tries to attack him. And then, and then it turns into a whole thing where Rick's going to kill him. Yeah. The end of what you want to do is, pretty heavy yeah so they they get that funny bit out of the way and then it gets really serious and it take turns like that happen in, in the music all the time so like dance with me darling does kind of the same thing where dr parker's kind of gross and creepy and meredith says so you'll do it and he goes so you'll do it <laughs> like ugh. yeah but it, it, it creates that uncomfortable giggling and then you have the first big bloody moment in the show at the end of that song where he slits the goose's throat yeah. And you get like, even in the music, you get the thunder and lightning and dramatic music. But the beginning of Dance With Me Darling kind of starts as a joke. Yeah. And I really like that this yeah. show does that. Like three bedroom house is full of jokes at the beginning and then gets very serious at the end. Right. Yeah. It, yeah that's a kind of a theme. It kind of goes throughout. But I think that's it reflects the show as a whole as well, mm. is that it does start off very kind of campy and fun. And then it gets pretty serious towards the end. But not like not serious enough to where it's like disturbing, right? Right. But serious enough that like you it's legitimate and what happened makes sense. Yeah. Well at the beginning of the show, and I think this happened in the production we watched, the beginning of the show they start singing Hold Me Bat Boy and they do the choreography and everyone starts giggling at like Hold Me Bat Boy, touch me bat boy. Right. Because <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like everyone giggles a little bit and they're is an off-Broadway bootleg where the laughter is very loud <laughs> when they start those lyrics. They do the same thing at the end of the show, and I don't think this is the kind of show where you cry at the ending. I don't think it's meant to be that kind of moving, but right. the lyrics are, it's almost the same lyrics, and they're just more poignant at the end because you've yeah. gone with them on this big journey. They say, hold your bat boy, touch your bat boy. Hold your hey, bat your boy. Bat boy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like being alive. That's someone to hold me too close. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's called that's called a throwback. It is. Or a callback. Some people are just great musical theater writers. Yeah. And I think yeah, I think it definitely has a, a different connotation at the end of the at the end of the show talking about like you know, what Edgar went through for his whole life of them like trying like abandoning him and trying to, you know, get rid of him essentially and then kind of flipping it. Mm. And then taking care of him, and then eventually end up killing him anyway. Right. Um, but of like, had this not happened in the first place, had they not, you know, abandoned him in the first place, it probably could have been very different. Right. And that's, I think that's kind of the implication there. Yeah. And, and that's a great segue into my next point, which is that it's a, I don't know if we would call it a satire or a spoof. Like it's somewhere in that realm, but it still makes me feel things. And I, I know it's off-brand yeah. for me to enjoy fun, but this show is fun <laughs> and I do enjoy it. But it also makes a lot of really interesting commentary, which I think is kind of a caveat for me to enjoy a fun thing, is that there mm-hmm. needs to be some kind of deeper meaning. And I think there are a lot of themes of love and acceptance. Yeah, I would agree. In this show. And then like forgiveness as an idea. And so I... I'm going to propose this thought, and if you don't want to talk about it uh, on on the, on the pod, uh, we can cut it. Okay. Uh, I really like the commentary this show makes about 
Southern Christian stereotypes. What do you mean? So uh, I'll preface this by saying that I was raised Catholic in the Northeast and then attended a Southern Baptist college, but religion is not a super important part of my life right now. But I feel like I've had it from both sides. So I, I do feel qualified to talk about this. And then this is something that you and I have talked about before, but a lot of the time in theater and the theater community generally leans to the left politically. Um, yeah, Christians are made typically. to be bad guys because they're ignorant mm-hmm. and hateful and they make decisions uh, in the name of blindly following religious teachings. And so it's very easy to vilify Christianity mm-hmm. just in general in theater. And I think yeah. they could have done this very easily in Bat Boy and made a joke out of it, but they don't. Yeah. I mean, I will I will say that I think there is a there is a touch of that at the beginning mm-hmm. to an extent. Um, but I think after the Reverend kind of shows up, it changes a little bit because he accepts Batboy for who he is, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he still has a visceral reaction to seeing him <laughs> for the first time, but uh, doesn't turn him away. Right. And isn't like, oh, get this thing out of here. Kill it. He tries to help. Right. right. The The use of the phrase sweet wounded Jesus throughout the show does make me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is something that keeps popping up. Yeah. And then, like, you know, there is that song, Christian Charity, mm-hmm. where I think they start to lean into that. And I think they're kind of setting you up to, to be of that opinion. They're like, oh, they're a bunch of ignorant, hateful, southern, redneck Christians. But in right. Joyful Noise slash Let Me Walk Among You, um, you know, they set this up at, that no one wants Edgar at the revival, but they ask, like, who needs the healing? And he comes forward and says, I want to be healed, and then pleads his case. Everyone's like, okay. Yeah, that's true. And then they sing Joyful Noise again. And so uh, I think in this song, like, like that's – as someone, I don't, I don't know what I want to say here. I don't really consider myself to be a part of an actively Christian community, if that makes sense. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of refreshing to, like – see that because that's what christianity is supposed to be at least in my understanding is like forgiveness love acceptance like all those things that's core to christianity so the fact that christianity isn't the butt of the joke here it's it's nice to see yeah yeah i would agree and it is nice to see and you know there are a few you know overtly or like not i wouldn't say overtly christian but there are a few like Christian religious leaning musicals in general. Mm-hmm. Joseph is one. Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, Godspell, like those. And from and from those they don't. Uh, I'm like I think about those musicals and relating it to something like Guys and Dolls, where like the gangsters are the cool guys and then all the religious people suck, right? And then it's yeah. like and but that seems to be a a a, a theme. And you're right. Like, that's what you're saying, right? It seems to be like a theme throughout most musical theater is that religious people, particularly Christian people, are seen as, are vilified. They're, you know, they're made out to be the bad yeah. guy a lot of the time. Um, and so, yeah, it is nice to see in this show where that is not necessarily the case. It starts out a little bit that way, but then changes. So, yeah. The reason why they end up not liking Edgar is really is because he, they believe he's killing people. And it's not necessarily because they're like they're Christians and he's a monster. It's not that's not the that's not what they're saying. It's just like he's literally killing things, or they believe he's literally killing people or things. So I don't know. It's a, it's kind of a different different way to look at it. And 
it is it is nice to like not have the have the religious people be like oh yeah these people suck and religious people suck it's nice to not have that yeah i think they you know they make the villains villains for doing villainous things not for religious persecution or right or doing bad things in the name of religion right so i i didn't really notice that until watching it this time around i didn't really think about that mm-hmm. as a perspective but yeah it's just i just wrote yeah it's, it's refreshing that you know when once they accept that edgar's got the same kind of like faith goals as they do they're all totally on board yeah. and then it's dr parker's lies that shut that relationship down right yeah yeah, because it does set it up in a way that, like, oh yeah, they, they this uh, believably Christian community is going to accept Edgar for just who he is, and then Doctor Parker shows up and is like, oh, actually, he killed her, and also he killed this guy, and you know, ter- and he tries to, and he tries to, you know, make Edgar out to be the monster that he quote unquote is. Right. Um, we talked about this a little bit, but what do you think of the ending? I have as a note, or like. Video montage versus live reenactment. Like, I kind of like the video montage a little bit better, um, which might surprise you a little bit, but I kind of like that better because, like, with the two actors just standing there talking and then having this flashback happen behind them, uh, I think, I mean, it definitely doesn't hurt. Um, and I think it just depends on how comfortable your actors are acting out the flashback. Or like maybe you would stage you could stage in a way to where you have a couple of your ensemble actors playing like a young Meredith and a young Parker that are kind of off and like so like there's like a scrim or something and they're behind it and then acting all this stuff out while they're up there talking like you could still do technically do it live and not have it be a like a, a projected video or something but the actors themselves doing it doesn't really make sense to me but I mean it ultimately it's director's choice so. You know, me being being the technical director, I'm like, oh. yeah, I'm smiling because I'm not surprised you like the video montage better because I like the live reenactment better. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's also yeah, true. It's less work. That's the main thing. <laughs> uh, that's why I think that compromise is like technically still doing it live, but having it like off yeah. and it's not happening. Like the actors that are playing Meredith and Parker are not doing it themselves. I don't think I would ever put Meredith and Parker, Dr. Parker together. Like I wouldn't actually have him insinuate that with blogging um but like i think this would be a fun moment to have a a big like marionette puppet of like a hundred bats on a stick and like dangle them over her and let her react (laughs) to them and then yeah like have it fly over her and around her and then i'm pretty sure this is what they did when i stage managed it but they kind of like they put her in a hospital gown and they put her on a like a rolling hospital bed and they just spun her so her head was downstage and her legs were upstage yeah and they were like it's that's a what girl. i figured they didn't block everything that they described but they hit some of the highlights right yeah and yeah. i i think having the actors do it live kind of adds the to the campiness like allows that moment to be a little bit silly because it's about to get serious again yeah you could probably make it seem like oh this is quote-unquote in the past by having a light a lighting Mm -hmm. change of some kind yeah i think that's one way to do it all right so like listeners what do you think about this show if you've have you seen bat boy are you interested in seeing it now (laughs) um tweet at us let us know you know it's and reach out to my email you know however you want to uh yeah what, what are your thoughts on on bat boy we'd love to hear it definitely tweet at Brantley and tell him why he's wrong and this is an amazing show (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. So do do we want to do a, a Dreamcast I, of this oh, one? So if you wanted the Dreamcast, Bat Boy, who would you my do? My Dreamcast notes are incredible. So I just want to start off by saying selfishly that I want to do this show with you so badly. <laughs> if I could only ever do one show with you ever, I think it, it might be this one. I want you to play Dr. Parker and I want to play Meredith. <laughs> and I've thought this for... I don't know whether to think that as a compliment or not. I, I don't... I don't know how to say it without being, I don't want it to be mean, but I, very early on in our friendship, I thought you would make a really good Dr. Parker. I don't know what that says about you or me. I think you have the charm to be a good villain. You as a person, like well, your public persona is very likable and charming. And I think that's part of what makes a villain good. Cause you can't just hate <laughs> Dr. Parker. You have to like him a little bit. And I think you've got that like smarmy villain charm. So I will take that as a compliment, as I have played multiple villains in the past. So that's not probably not that far off. I do intend it to be a compliment. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I I guess I'll take it as a compliment, but I'm like, <laughs> it's basically like walking up to someone and being like, you know what? You look like a serial killer. And I'm like, great. That's kind of what it feels like. Oh. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> no, that's not what I meant. Okay. All right. I like to think that at this point I know you pretty well, and I just I haven't seen you play a villain. Uh, yeah. And I want to. Yeah, because you didn't come see Wedding Singer when I was in it. I so. didn't know, but I didn't. That's know kind you. of on you. I didn't know you at that point anyway. Wouldn't have mattered. I would not have seen you in Joseph, and I knew Joseph was happening. That's fine. I don't. I would not consider myself to be a villain in Joseph anyway. No. It's just villainous that you were in the show at all. That someone did a production of Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so yes, if anyone, and honestly, in 10 years, I'm going to start campaigning our local community theater groups to be like, hey, somebody needs to do Bat Boy because I'm selfish and I want to sing Three Bedroom House. <laughs> and I have some ideas for some funny choreography for Dance With Me, Darling. So I'm just saying, if you're free in 10 years, let's do Bat Boy. <laughs> uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay, so my real dream cast. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts. I just figured let's go character by character. So let's start as Edgar with Edgar slash Batboy. Mm -hmm. I only have one name written down. Okay. I'm open to other ideas, but I want Ethan Slater to play Edgar slash Batboy. I think that's actually perfect. I think he like, could do I don't it. even think there's anybody else I'd want to see play <laughs> Batboy either. Yeah. I think he could do it. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> From SpongeBob to Batboy, Ethan Slater. Ethan Slater. Ladies and gentlemen. As Batboy. For Shelly, honestly, I really can't imagine anyone but Carrie Butler playing Shelly because I just think Carrie Butler's an angel and she's so funny in this role. The only name I wrote down is Renee Rapp, question mark. Yeah, sure. Maybe. Renee Rapp reads yeah. kind of mature to me, but. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What about, hold on. What about someone like Erica Henningsen or Taylor Louderman? Uh, I like, I think I like Erica Henningsen better. I mean, if we're just going to pick all the Bean Girls girls. <laughs> <laughs> well that's just kind of what i was thinking too i was like oh i was like well so surely someone from me from mean girls yeah, could could pop I, in and play yeah i think like Shelley. i like renee rap as a performer and i like taylor louderman as a performer but they, to me they read a little bit too mature and i don't mean that as old i just mean as like um i don't know mm -hmm. erica henningson's got the baby face maybe that's what i want yeah but i i don't think and this is another one of my like roll my eyes in musical theater writing but like Shelly, I don't think is a particularly difficult role to sing. No, probably. I don't think so either. So if you have someone who's got a little bit of comedy chops, then of the, the big, the lead four, Shelly's the one I care the least about as far as casting. It's fair. Um, okay. For Meredith, I've written down a few options. Tell me what you think. Ca Carrie mm -hmm. Butler, obviously. 
let's put her back in the show. I love right, I love yeah. her for everything. Uh, <laughs> Laura Benanti's also a good, funny one. If we're just going to name all the people we've named in the past. There's like 10 actors we like who want to cast. Right. Uh, <laughs> Kelly O'Hara could be interesting <laughs> as kind of a different choice. Hmm, but I, I think yeah. she's got some like good maternal qualities. And I thought maybe if we wanted to stunt cast, maybe Emily Blunt. Yeah, sure. I could go for that. What are your thoughts on Meredith? I really don't know if I have any. You know, Philippa Sue maybe. Oh, yeah. If she were a little older. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of where I, I think maybe that. Uh, yeah. I haven't really thought. <laughs> I was just trying to process this show so much. I didn't really think about like who I would put where as far as casting. In the last 12 hours, your brain is melted. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. I'm trying to come to terms with myself at this point. Like, I don't even know. Uh, um, for Dr. Parker and I, so I have, I have a bulleted list. That's how my notes usually look. I just wrote stunt cast as a category. <laughs> I only have one name for Dr. Parker and I do want to see him in lots of things, but I just haven't mm-hmm. had an opportunity to bring him up yet. How about Seth MacFarlane as Dr. Parker? Actually. I know, right? Yeah, right? I'd be down. I'd be down for Seth MacFarlane playing Dr. Parker. He's exactly the type that I want. Yeah. What about, uh, what about Christian Borle? I did think about him too. I, if Christian Borle mm-hmm. looked like Patrick Warburton. <laughs> that's like my ideal situation <laughs> i want someone who looks like patrick warburton but not his voice sure and i think seth mcfarland can do the voice i want yeah well like seth mcfarland's got a pretty square head and i think jonathan groff's got a pretty square head too <laughs> so i think maybe jonathan groff could do it or uh yeah he could be good he could be cool i don't know yeah jonathan groff sorry about your square head <laughs> <laughs> and like Kind of something that kind of hit that hit me too that I think could be a, an interesting uh, Dr. Parker was uh, uh, John Cariani from Something Rotten. As Dr. Parker? Yeah. Ooh. Just an, I think it might just be kind of a, a different direction to go. Yeah, that would be a very different direction. Interesting. Hmm. But I think he could do it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I get vibes from him like, I think he could play a scientist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also under my stunt casting, I... Ideally, I think your stunt, in my perfect world, stunt casting goes to secondary characters. Give the leading roles to okay. legitimate theater Broadway actors who've got the acting chops and the voice to do all the things that you, you're asking them to do. Because this is not an easy show to sing. Right. And then then give these other parts to, like give a bit part to someone with a big name so it, you still get the audience interest, but they're not carrying as much of the show. Mm-hmm. So for example... Uh, Ariana Grande. I'm I'm not gonna say she's not an amazing performer. I hated her in Hairspray Live because she played herself right. and she didn't play the role. <laughs> like, and I'm nervous about what right. what she'll do in Wicked because I do think she's an extremely talented performer and she could perform it the way that I would want it to be performed. But I think she's gonna play herself, which is not what I'm looking for. And so that's mm-hmm. not a statement against her abilities. It's just the wrong style. Uh, anyway, that all that to say, I think Rick could be a role that you stunt cast, and I want to see Nick Jonas do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm here for that. I'm here for just cast all. You know what? Just say screw it and cast all the Jonas brothers. As the Taylors. As the Taylors. I want yes. Okay, so yeah. Nick Jonas as Rick, uh, Joe Jonas as Ruthie. <laughs> No, as put him as put him Ron, as Ron, and then Kevin put Kevin Jones as Ruthie. As Ruthie. 
Because he's the one that, because Kevin's the one that doesn't sing, so make him be Ruthie. I think she. I think you're. I think she's out, ladies and gentlemen. I think. That's not even the best. I think she's literally me. left this plane. He sounds like my body. <laughs> I just want to see Kevin Jonas in a hospital bed with a little hospital gown and pigtails. <laughs> and so, that was the most amazing thing that, that's going to happen on this episode. Okay. Um. <laughs> The Jonas Brothers as the Taylor kids. <laughs> oh, I love you. That was amazing. Um, okay. <laughs> I've written down uh, for Reverend Hightower a bunch of names, but I think any of these names could also be substituted for the sheriff or Mrs. Taylor. I want a strong comedy actor who I know can sing. So here are my off-the-wall suggestions to you. Uh, okay. Jack Black. Craig Robinson. Okay. And Titus Burgess. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm just imagining now Titus Burgess as Mrs. Taylor with the Jonas Brothers as the Taylor kids. And that sounds... I would watch the show just, just for, for that. Just for that part. I just want to just hear for Titus that. Burgess sing just for that part. lullaby. Yeah. Oh, man. But Craig Robinson as the sheriff or Reverend Hightower I think would be really fun. I think he could be really great. I think Craig Robinson would be a really good... Cause just kind of him, uh, just seeing him kind of be in that, uh, like seeing his the performances that he's had in, in the office and in Brooklyn Nine Nine. I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm for yeah. it, either one, because those are very different characters. So he's obviously a very skilled actor. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see him do either of those parts. I, well, I think you could probably have him do both. I don't actually know where the exactly what the doubling is in the show. Um, I think the Wikipedia page says who it originally doubled. Let me let me pull it back. Because if real you could play the sheriff and the reverend and play both of those parts they're, they're so different yeah flex those acting chops um doubling is usually sheriff reynolds and delia mrs taylor is usually also reverend hightower oh interesting i mean i like it i mean titus titus burgess could do both yeah oh yeah i think any and of have, them could and do have craig robinson play the sheriff yeah. i'm like down yeah. for that i'm totally down um and then this is the part of the show where you usually try to ruin my life with casting that I would not like. And I just want you to know I'm a step ahead of you. <laughs> I low key think this is the perfect show for Ben Platt and Sophia and Caruso. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Tell me she would not be a good Shelly. Honestly, I think she would. Honestly, And I don't know if Ben Platt would be a good Edgar, but I feel like my perception of him is that he takes himself seriously enough to think that he would be an amazing Edgar. And I would just want to see him hang upside down <laughs> in a cage for a while. Yeah. My, my suggestion for Hugh Jackman in the show is maybe the sheriff, but only if he does his Australian accent. <laughs> just Hugh Jackman. is like, Sheriff Hugh. <laughs> yeah. Let's just leave it. Like, let's change the character's name to Sheriff Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman. <laughs> it's just, he's just playing himself. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about does it for us here on this particular episode. It's only been an hour and 42 minutes. This is the shortest episode we've ever recorded. Yeah, I know. How about uh, this call out too for our listeners? Like if you, if there's anyone out there that you think would be a great in any of these roles, let us know, you know, because like we want to hear everyone's opinions. It's not just us on this. It's yeah, everybody. Tweet your dreamcast at us. Yeah, absolutely. 
Anytime. Yeah, and, and obviously if there's shows that we haven't covered that you really want to hear, if there's a, like a musical movie even, if you wanted us to talk about, throw it at us. We'll see what we can do. Because oh I know how much Emily likes to watch movies. So much. I love movies. That's another thing between us. I love watch to watch movies, and you love to sleep during them. So that's just how just, it is. It's the exposition puts me right to sleep, you know? <laughs> it's the Greatest Show, Man is produced by Brantley Wheeler and Emily Chavone. Our theme song is by Patrick Duffy. All of his information will be listed in the episode description. You can find us all over social media at Greatest Show Pod. Tweet at Brantley, tell him why he's wrong and has horrible taste in musicals. If you have suggestions for a musical we should cover in the future, please send us an email at thegreatestshowpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one. I think if we're still friends after this, then nothing will ruin our friendship. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would say that we are still friends, yes, but I just was like, wow, what is... I mean, part, part of me was like, Knowing, knowing you, and knowing like your how you seriously you take musical theater and your love of Stephen Sondheim, and then you show me this show, and I'm like, who are you as a person? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> that is yet to be determined. We're still unpacking that. <laughs> apparently, I have a lot to unpack with Game of Thrones later. So uh, uh, apparently, but you do that on your own time. <laughs> I will.